you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Season 9 of Biblical Counseling Today. On this podcast, we have discussed individual, marital, parenting, teenage, more complicated problems, the problem of suffering, spiritual warfare, and even parenting adult children from a thoroughly biblical perspective. We have covered much in 92 episodes, but there's always more to talk about. So I decided to dedicate this season to all things culture. I know that's a pretty big topic and quite a daunting task. There's a lot to talk about in our culture today, isn't there? Every generation must become equipped to engage their culture biblically. Now, I have to say, I've always loved learning about other cultures and usually find myself becoming quite fascinated with them. When I went on a summer missions trip to London for two and a half months at age 19, I learned a lot about British culture. Some of it I loved, like all the new and different desserts, and some not so much, like cold quiche for lunch. While I didn't have to learn a new language, I did have to learn a new form of English with lots of words I had never heard before. I had to learn to go to the loo instead of the bathroom and figure out what the bonnet of a car was. Then I worked with some teenagers living on the street who spoke with a very thick Cockney accent. That was quite a challenge. Even though British culture wasn't too far off from my own, I was still thankful to find enough American culture to feel at home. Going to dinner at Pizza Hut or traveling to Piccadilly Circus to see the latest movie out of Hollywood made me remember I was an American who just happened to live in the middle of British culture for a time. Of course, you don't have to travel very far to enter into a new cultural experience. Sometimes in America, you just have to cross a state line. Or you may only have to go a couple of streets over. Growing up in Chicago gave me lots of connections to other cultures, One of my favorites was going to Chinatown after church on Sundays with my grandfather. Even though it encompassed just a few streets, you felt like you had traveled all the way to China. We all come from different ethnic cultures and create new personal and family cultures over our lifetimes. We embrace and engage certain cultural habits and reject others. But our calling as Christians is to establish a distinctly Christian culture in our homes that then engages the cultures of this world. So our first episode in Season 9 will focus on the topic of how to create a Christ-centered family culture in our homes. On this foundation, we can engage all sorts of worldly cultural activities in a way that seeks to bring them into submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to start with the most basic question. What is culture? Well, according to one definition, culture is the characteristics and knowledge of a particular group of people 
encompassing language, religion, cuisine, social habits, music, and arts. Then here's another more technical definition. Culture is a shared pattern of behavior and interaction, cognitive constructs and understanding that are learned by socialization. Thus, culture can be seen as the growth of a group identity fostered by social patterns unique to that group. One anthropologist explains it even in more detail. Culture encompasses religion, food, what we wear, how we wear it, our language, marriage, music, what we believe is right or wrong, how we sit at the table, how we greet visitors, how we behave with loved ones, and a million other things. Well, the word culture itself derives from a French term, which in turn derives from the Latin colere, which means to tend to the earth and grow or cultivation and nurture. So it shares its etymology with a number of words relating to actively fostering growth. If you think about it, that etymology makes sense since culture is always changing and growing. It is something that is cultivated and nurtured. While a culture always has certain bedrock traditions, even those tend to be modified or fully transformed throughout the generations. Sadly, our Western culture seems to be constantly changing and growing in the wrong direction. Regressing, you might say, even though some would say it is progressing. So with these definitions in mind, we need to begin to discuss how we create a Christian culture as individuals and as couples and as families. What elements go into it? How do we sustain it? Well, first, let's start with religion. Every culture has a religion. If you go to India, the dominant religion is Hinduism. If you go to Iran, it would be Islam. But we aren't talking about how to establish a national religion, but the religion of your marriage, your family. Hopefully, you have established a Christian home. You are personally professing Jesus as Savior and Lord, and you are teaching your children that Jesus is the only way to heaven. So that means you're all set, right? You have a Christ-centered culture in your home. Not necessarily, but at least you've got a good start. If I came to your home and stayed for a week, how would I know that you were striving to establish a Christ-centered culture? I wouldn't necessarily be looking for pictures of Jesus or counting how many crosses you had on the walls or shelves. I probably wouldn't even count how many Bibles you had in each room. No, I think the starting place would be watching how you and your spouse treat each other and how each family member acts towards each other, how everyone was speaking to one another. Is there kindness shown, helpfulness given, grace on display? Is there love, respect, and humility in the air? As I'm making this the first mark of a Christ-centered culture, I'm already feeling guilty and ashamed of my own home. There are many days we call our home the house of sin. Makes you want to come hang out with us, doesn't it? Hopefully you know that I'm not describing a Christ-centered culture based on my own standard or what we have already achieved as a family. I'm just going by the biblical standard, since we know the following truths. First, 
that faith without good works is dead. So even if every member of your family professes faith in Jesus Christ, there must be corresponding Christian behaviors on display. We also know the truth that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if we are filled with the Spirit, these traits should be on display and growing and maturing. Sadly, many of our Christian homes are just homes where professing Christians live together. Or to put it another way, they are homes where the world's culture is embraced and practiced, with a little bit of church and some morality sprinkled on top. But let me back up, lest I be misunderstood. While how we treat each other in our homes is a mark of a Christian or non-Christian culture, so is repentance and correction and training in righteousness. As Christians, we are all works in progress. We are all growing in grace. We are all being sanctified. So at any point in time, our home may not look like the beacon of light we desire, but our goal as a family is to continue to build a kingdom of light culture. So if we have a commitment to the one true religion of Christianity, then building a Christ-honoring culture becomes our lifelong goal. Just as we all as individuals are striving to become more like Christ, we want our family culture to grow in that grace as well. Second, every culture also has its own language. To be a full part of any culture, you need to know the language, understand the language, speak the language. So what is the language of a Christ-centered culture? Is it all sweet and sugary? Is it just people quoting scripture to each other all day long? There will certainly be variety based on a lot of other variables like personalities, backgrounds, ethnicity, etc. But there must be some vital similarities in our homes guided by the word of God. Let's think about it this way. While our American culture works to ensure that our language is politically correct, Christians are to speak in ways that are theologically correct. The Bible has more to say about communication and our words than just about any other subject. This demonstrates that God alone sets the language for his kingdom culture. In our homes, we must speak a language that glorifies God, that puts Christ at the center of our conversations. That means we must not speak as the world trains us to speak, but as God calls us to speak. Our words simply reflect what is going on in our hearts. So let's get practical here and give several examples. First, the world speaks of things happening in this world as random or just the result of good or bad luck. This reflects a worldview that is godless, that sees the universe or something else in control of what is happening each day. In a Christ-centered culture, we always speak of God being sovereign, of God being in control, of God working out his plan in this world. When I was growing up, my sister always corrected my language on this point, much to my frustration. Even when we were playing a board game and I claimed she had gotten so lucky, she would quickly retort, there's no such thing as luck. Yes, God was even in control of our shoots and ladders game. 
Here's another example. The language of this world is vengeful, disrespectful, focused on tearing down instead of building up. At the same time, this world tells us to always say positive things, build people's self-esteem, never say anything that hurts someone else's feelings. So what is unique about our Christian cultural language? Well, we are willing to speak the truth, but it must always be in love. We seek to build others up with grace, not tearing them down. We aren't interested in making people feel better about themselves, but we are considerate and kind, meeting people where they are. Our home should be places where we speak with grace and not return evil for evil. Then here's another example. Foul language, cursing, and taking God's name in vain is totally acceptable in our world. These words are used when people are angry, when they want to motivate others like football coaches or army sergeants, or just a part of everyday conversation for some people. What place do these sorts of corrupt words have in your marriage, in your family, in your home? Christians speak in ways that are considerate and kind towards other people. Of course, Christians get angry too or want to make an emphatic point once in a while, but do we need to adopt the world's language or put something different on display? And then one last example. The language of a Christian culture is not just sugary and sweet all the time, as I alluded to earlier. Yes, some Christians are truly very sweet in the way they speak, but others are just using worldly language to manipulate ingratiate self, or act in passive-aggressive ways. I don't want to pick on any particular cultural phrase. There are plenty to choose from. We just need to check our hearts for why we are using certain words in our conversations. Are we trying to glorify God and show love and grace? Or are we just covering up what we really want to say with some flowery words? More about that in a future series on communication. Well, let's continue thinking about the elements of a Christ-centered family culture with this third one. Every culture has a base of knowledge and truth. Every nation puts their children through a particular academic education to teach them knowledge that fits their culture. So, for example, our American public schools will teach our children American history and world history, but will typically not teach church history. It may teach a history of religions in general, but Christianity will be one of many. Here's another example. Most American public schools will teach evolution as a fact rather than a theory and not give much, if any, time to creationism. Well, for the Christian, our culture is grounded in knowledge and truth found in Scripture, since the Bible is our first and final authority. So when Christians are biblically illiterate, They cannot establish a truly Christian culture in their homes and with their families. There is no knowledge of the truth. The worldly culture often looks to science as where knowledge and truth are found. Of course, Christians are people of science as well, but the world either sees science as supreme or is eagerly willing to embrace junk science, fake science. Isn't it interesting that the world often sees Christians as stupid, ignorant, believing in myths? 
We are to be the most knowledgeable, filled with truth and operating from wisdom. If we are not teaching our children to read the Bible, to read and study books that teach truth, they will not just naturally grow up to be knowledgeable people. Sometimes parents can be much more concerned with their children getting good grades in school than learning what is true. Are you and your family learning more from pop culture, from entertainment media, than from God's Word? Are you reading essential theological books and using them to grow the thinking of your children? Christian culture is to be a culture of truth. We are to know the truth and constantly be growing in knowledge and wisdom. And then fourth, every culture has its own activities, recreation, and priorities. Now, this is where it gets challenging to distinguish a non-Christian culture from a Christian one. Yet, what we choose to do, where we choose to spend our time and money, says a lot about our priorities and whether or not we are Christ-centered. And our activities tend to bind us together with those who share that activity with us. So let's start with the fact that a Christian culture must be church-centric. Christians prioritize the worship of God, the gathering of the saints, the fellowship of believers, the communal discipleship around God's word. The Lord himself set the pattern of six days of other work and activities and one day to rest and gather for worship. The Lord's day must always be the Christian's priority. So can you have a Christian family culture if you are rarely in church? When you miss much more than you actually attend? I guess part of the answer to the question has to do with why you're missing church. Sports on Sunday is now generally accepted, even by Christians. People take more and more weekend vacations, missing the Lord's Day. Others are so busy that Sunday is the only day to sleep in. But let me push it a little further. Can you have a Christian culture in your home and only practice the Lord's hour instead of the Lord's day? You know what I mean. Just wake up, show up for a service, but never go to Sunday school, never go to evening worship. Use your day for many other things than the worship of God or for discipleship or for mercy ministry. Now, I'm not suggesting that the more activities you participate in the church makes you more holy or more of a Christian but it certainly dictates what kind of culture you are creating. We kept our children out of sports primarily so we would never miss Sundays or Wednesday nights or important family and church activities. Having my son in football this past year for his senior year in high school changed our culture somewhat. We were more active on Friday nights in the football stands than doing other things we were used to doing as a family which moves us onward to the subject of activities. There is nothing inherently wrong with spending your evenings in the stands of your child's ball game or at dance recitals or even having season tickets to your favorite sports team. But it does impact the community aspect of your culture. I have heard Christians talk about missing church for a ball game, but being fine with it because of the community they have with other parents who may or may not be Christians. So the church becomes a little less of a community for them, and other people who share their same activities becomes primary. It changes their cultures. The same goes for children and youth who miss Wednesday night ministries, if you have them at your church, 
because of extracurricular activities. They're being raised in a culture where church is secondary or maybe even lower than that on the activity list. They will learn that other activities are more important than church. That always reminds me of a story of a boy who came to our children's catechism class on Wednesday afternoon. This is about 20 years ago now. We had children's catechism from 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock after school. He showed up at 3.55 in his baseball uniform, telling me his mom was picking him up at 4.20. I guess I was glad he could be in our catechism class for 20 minutes, but I was sad at his parents' cultural choices. Since I knew this 10-year-old well, I challenged him a little bit. I said something like this, I'm sorry you have to miss the teaching of the Word of God and growing in your faith for baseball. Does that sound kind of manipulative? Probably. He replied, uh, Dr. Kwasney, it's not practice. It's a game. And I said, exactly. It's a game. It's just a game. I don't think he got my point. And of course, it wasn't my intention to make him feel bad. I just wanted him and maybe his parents to think about their activity choices like we all have to do as believers. The reality is we all have blind spots about our activities. I certainly put way too much time and energy into watching college football. If we're intentional about creating a Christ-centered culture, we must constantly evaluate what we and our families are doing with our time and talents and money and resources. And then fifth, cultures are defined by their music, their art, their entertainment. Again, this is a complicated subject, that's for sure. Let's start with music. Even types of praise and worship music dictate the kind of church culture we desire and we're a part of. So whatever sort of church music you are singing week in and week out has an impact on your family culture. But from there, what music is in your home? What playlists do your children have? All Christian music or all secular music or some combination? Music is a powerful culture-shaping force. For some reason, I could never get most of my family into 1980s heavy metal music. My wife played too much smooth jazz, countering all my cultural formation efforts. Seriously, music is more than just fun or entertaining. It is a teaching tool. It is an influencer. I love Christian music, but I don't play it in my car or in my home all day long. So what sort of music permeates your family culture? Then there's the arts and entertainment. There are Christians who choose to not own a television or to go to the movies. Then there are those who think that Christians only should watch rated G or PG movies. These choices dictate your culture. Honestly, there are Christians who have been horrified about the TV shows and movies I have let my children watch through the years. But I've been horrified about entertainment choices that I think are worse than mine. I will say personally that our family culture is heavily into TV shows and movies. But we're also big readers and talkers, too. We've always used entertainment to talk about how to think and act as Christians, teaching a real Christian worldview. And we've used entertainment to laugh and share life together as well. But again, we must always consider if we are adopting a worldly culture rather than establishing a Christian culture in our home. 
What do we do with the fact that every TV show seems to now have a gay couple in it? Transgenderism is also being promoted heavily in the entertainment world. We'll talk about these specific cultural issues and many more in the episodes to come this season. As Christians, we also need to address the propensity to have a false, secular, sacred distinction where Christians can only watch Christian movies or listen to Christian music. Sadly, these are often, but not always, inferior artistic expressions that promote some level of moralism and legalism. But I'll have to dive into that bit of cultural critique later on as well. The main point, as it has been throughout this episode, is for us to examine how our choices of music, art, and entertainment creates either a Christian culture or more of a worldly one in our homes. Okay, we have time for a couple more elements of culture. Here's a sixth one. Every culture has a moral code. Even the most worldly anti-God culture that is all around us lives by a certain code with both unwritten and written rules. So what is the moral code in your marriage, in your family, with your children? Is it rooted in God's word or is it a mixture of the Bible and your own traditions? Hopefully you know that the moral code of the Old Testament is still in effect. Jesus himself said that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. We can only obey God's law because of Christ in us and in the power of his spirit. So what do the rules look like in your home? Do you allow lying, stealing, taking the Lord's name in vain, the dishonoring of parents? Maybe those are the easy ones that will always bring about discipline. But what about coveting? Are you a family who is content with what you have? Or do you find yourselves regularly coveting what others have? Or maybe you are doing so well keeping up with the Joneses that your children don't have to covet. They have it all. That's a different moral problem, isn't it? Greed, materialism, the idol of comfort. If we're honest, these can mark our own family cultures as well. Then there's the problem of moralism. We can teach our children to be good by their own strength or that they will only be loved by God and us if they're good. Some Christian homes are only Christian on the outside with plenty of yes sirs and yes ma'ams without real heart obedience. True Christian morality is marked by a life of repentance and humility, not just an external obedience to the law. We can become a family of Pharisees instead of a family that sees our sin and clings to the cross. Yet we don't want our culture to swing into antinomianism, where we are against God's law. What can look like grace and understanding can just be permissiveness or the avoidance of conflict. And then seventh, every culture has defined relationships. Yes, it is God who defines relationships for us as Christians, as his creation. We can either accept his definitions or rebel against him. At the center of a Christian home must be a Christian marriage. Two Christians equally yoked with one another, one man and one woman, two people committed to Christ and to one another. This is God's design. 
So it should not surprise us that the world's culture goes after marriage first and redefines it. Gay marriages are increasing in our culture all the time. More and more people are just accepting that there are various kinds of marriage and they're all equally good. One of the best ways to cultivate a Christ-centered family culture is through a Christ-glorifying marriage. This will set our culture apart. So then what do we make of the statistics that show Christian marriages ending up in just as many divorces as non-Christian ones? We've got a culture problem, don't we? As well as a sin problem. Well, from there, we must constantly be working on family relationships to be promoting love and understanding and communication and conflict resolution. But another important aspect of establishing a Christian culture is how we relate to others outside of our family. Are we reaching out to the marginalized, the outsiders, or just enjoying relationships with our close friends? Are we actively serving the poor, the needy, the hungry, the sick, or just taking care of our own needs? Are we prejudiced towards others, not like us, or seeking to show the love of Christ and be a witness to all? A core component of the Christian faith and a Christian culture is evangelism. We don't just accept other people worshiping any way they please. We actively pursue the lost and show them Jesus. Does this describe the culture you're trying to establish in your home? Or are you selfishly keeping the gospel to yourself? If Christianity is all about a relationship with Jesus, then godly relationships must mark a Christian culture, pushing against the tide of isolationism, shallowness, and celebrityism that marks our culture today. Well, that wraps up our first episode in our All Things Culture season. Beginning next time, we will get specific and dig down deeper into present cultural trends that must be understood and engaged in a biblical way. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.